Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Lord, you are an undivided, you are one. As the person and the Trinity freely share themselves with one another, you call us to do unlike. You commanded us to do love one another. So what whole world may see you truly in I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you all must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciple when you love each other. For the word of God, for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So our children have done a wonderful job of leading us this morning. It is so good to see that as we raise a generation in faith, Yes. It's good to see as we raise a generation of faith, them taking on leadership roles in the church in the present. We are in the midst of our stewardship conversation. This is week two of four. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of TV. And, you know, when you watch series, there's always the previously on. So previously at Chapelwood, um, we talked last week about how generosity really serves as kind of a pulse on our spiritual life. Just as checking our, our heart rate, our pulse, tells us a little bit about the state of our health of our body, so too, checking the fruits of the Spirit, like generosity, can give us a little insight into the health of our spiritual life. And we discussed that as followers of Christ, we take seriously the idea that our trust lies not in our finances or our resources, but our trust lies in God. And that from the abundance of God's love, our own good works flow out. As part of that pulse check, we talked a lot about our own relationship with God and with Christ, and how we develop our personal standing, our own relationship, our foundation in discipleship. But today I want to talk a little bit about how discipleship is never just a solo enterprise. Even Jesus gathered a community as he began his public ministry. As important as our personal relationship with Christ is, it ought to immediately work itself out in a community of discipleship. A lot of that sounds kind of big, fancy words. And because we had kids here at the first service, I, I really kind of tried to think about, well, what does that really look like? And over the week, I decided that it means that people are like Legos. Now, trust me, Terry, people are a little bit like Legos. From the very beginning in Genesis, God says, it is not good that they should be alone. It's kind of funny. You know, you ever look at a Lego? Every Lego comes with little nubs on the top, right? It's not a Lego if it doesn't have nubs. And some of them have lots of them, and some of them have fewer. 
But the whole purpose of a Lego is to take those little nubs and click them in together. I mean, really, what can you do with one Lego, except maybe leave it on the carpet to attack your parents' feet in the middle of the night? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you need lots of Legos. And when they get together, Legos can become some pretty amazing things. There's actually a, a Lego conference that moves around, and they were in Houston last year, and they had some incredible Lego sculptures. They had a Batmobile, life-size, you could really sit in, and they had a giant T-Rex, all built from Legos. Probably wouldn't even fit in this room. You put enough Legos together, and they do incredible things. The same is true for disciples. We are made to be in interconnected relationships. And when you put us together, we can do some pretty amazing things. We hear this theme in our scripture today. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It is the Last Supper. And he says, I give to you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so also you must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. It puts love at a pretty high bar. This is how you will know, how they will know you are my disciples. Not because you wear the t-shirt, not because you've got the little fish on your car. If you've ever driven behind someone with one of those fish on their car, you know sometimes it lies. Yes. People will know you are a disciple because of the love that you show. Jesus calls this a new commandment. It shows up, actually, a couple of places, though. The love commandment, it shows up in Matthew and in Luke, as well as John. It's one of those things that we're very sure Jesus would have said. But it shows up in slightly different places. Matthew and Luke put it early in Jesus' ministry when he's teaching the crowds. John puts it late, very late. Thursday night, late. John puts it in what we call the final discourses. In the ancient world, when there was a famous teacher, it was common for them to leave a final discourse for their disciples. It was sort of the great summation of their teaching, the most important things. It was kind of the, if you got nothing else to this point, please remember this. And in John, the thesis statement for Jesus' final discourse is love each other as I have loved you. He's drawing on a long-standing Jewish tradition. In Matthew, we know that Jesus connects this idea of loving each other to love of God, right? Do you remember how it comes about? The Pharisee comes and asks Jesus, and he says, what's the most important commandment? And what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. This is the interactive portion. With all your strength. Yeah, you know it. 
He does. He pulls this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That first piece, Jesus is pulling from probably one of the most foundational texts of the Jewish faith. He's calling up the Shema. It appears in our Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 6. This is not going to be my friend, Jake. Okay. It appears in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema, it's called the Shema because Shema literally means hear, O Israel. And so it begins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And keep these words that I am commanding you today on your heart. For a Jewish audience, this really would have been the Jesus loves me. It would have been the the first scripture they learned as children, the scripture they heard again and again in the temple. It might have literally been mounted on the doorpost of their house, and even to this day, some Orthodox Jews will bind it to their head and to their hands as they pray. This was the, if you got nothing else, you got this. All of the law comes down to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. And when the Pharisee asks Jesus about it in Matthew, Jesus pairs it with a piece out of Leviticus that says, and love your neighbor as yourself. It was very common for rabbis when they were teaching about the law to do what we call build a fence around the law. The idea was that if the law said this, and you stayed a good 10 feet away from it, you were pretty sure not to break the law, right? This sounds like pretty sound, rational advice. Yeah, rabbis would call this building a fence around the law. The funny thing is that when Jesus goes to build the fence, not only shall you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your sake, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It becomes a fence that doesn't keep people out, but one that draws the boundaries of who is in wider and wider and wider. It's kind of how Jesus operates. And when he comes to his last supper with his disciples in John, it is this ever-widening circle of love that he wants them to bear in mind. And so he takes it as a new commandment. Not new because it comes out of nowhere, No, it comes from a long tradition dating back to the Shema, running all the way through the Jewish prophets who extended and extended and extended, but new because it will find a new foundation in his death and resurrection. The commandment is new because he is deepening the understanding of what love means. No greater love has a man than this, that he would lay down his life. Jesus is raising the bar for his disciples. He's saying, you will love the way I have loved, and you will love not only your God, but in loving God, you will love your neighbor and your family and the stranger and the alien. He's drawing the fence wider and wider and wider, and he's giving them a description 
of what the shape of relationships built in that kind of love is. Relationships grounded in Christ, they have a particular kind of shape. And I bet, if you've been paying attention, that it's a familiar shape. When we look at the teachings of Jesus, we know that relationships grounded in Christ set high expectations for trust and care. How many times have you heard Peter Camarano ask you, who are your stretcher bearers? Who are the people that when you are sick or grieving would climb up on the roof, haul through the, the thatch, and lower you down to the feet of Jesus? Who are the people that you trust to care for you that much? You think it's easy to be on that stretcher? Mm -mm. Relationships grounded in Christ acknowledge that level of vulnerability with one another and that level of care. We know that when relationships are grounded in Christ, they drive us to continue to grow in that faith. When Jesus drew disciples to them, he didn't stop with where they were. He helped them to continually understand the teachings that he was laying out, parable after parable. We see this in our own small groups. We don't just gather to have dinner or to care for one another, but we push each other to learn, to grow, to read the text again, to find where God is active in our lives. We push one another to tell the stories of where God is active in our life. I know that I've visited with Lisa Michelle's small group, The Tribe, on Thursday, and I've heard them talk a couple of times about how, as, how everything they're learning kind of starts working on their heart. They start seeing the places God is, is working in them and in those around them, and they want to tell those stories. You know what this feels like. I bet at some point in the last year, you have read a book, seen a movie, eaten at a restaurant that you just loved, right? Anybody not had anything they loved in the last year? Okay, you're still awake, good. You loved something in the last year enough that you wanted to tell every person you met about how great it was. You wanted to make sure that your friends got to share in that experience. When our relationships are grounded in Christ, when we experience how much Christ loves us, we want to see that love overflow. We want to tell the story of how God is at work in our life. And we know that that story will drive us out into a calling beyond ourselves, Jake. <laughs> it pushes us to be more than we are, to look beyond the walls of our own family or our own congregation. I'm giving up. <laughs> it pushes us beyond ourselves into a greater calling on our life. We're giving it one more try. Well, it makes a heart. <laughs> uh, yay! All right. It was so cute. The kids were here this morning. They were like, it's a heart. Yeah. Okay. Do these four look familiar? 
Have we talked about these a little bit, Chapelwood? Relationships that are grounded in Christ, they make us set high expectations. They call us into a life beyond ourselves. They encourage us to tell God's stories, and they raise our fluency in the faith. And I know that you've experienced some of these kinds of relationships because I know about this stuff. And I know somebody's immediately going to look at this list and tell me I missed something. I'm sure I did because there are so many opportunities to be in that kind of relationship. I know that we have a great care team. I was humbled by the cards they sent this week as my family was grieving. I know that we have an amazing UMW who meets not only to learn and to grow, but invites in Juan Sorto to talk about the ministry they're supporting through him. I know we have great Sunday school classes and small groups who have taken up the challenge to go into deeper relationship with one another. I know that even with our youth at midweek, they not only bear one another's burdens, but pray for the wider church community. We have experience in what it means to experience the kind of love that Christ is talking about in John. And I think we feel that push to see what life would be like if that love spilled out more abundantly. You got in the mail this week, hopefully, a card that looks like this. It says, people who made a difference in my spiritual life. We're calling these heart cards. They're a chance to share the stories and the testimonies and the things that have made a difference in your spiritual life. If you didn't get one in the mail, they're at the end of your pews. You don't get out of it this week. During the offering time, we're going to invite you to come forward and, and to lift these in prayer and to place them in the basket to be displayed next week. But I know that everyone in here can probably name at least one person, if not in this community, then at some point in your life, who made a difference in your spiritual journey. Somebody who took seriously the call to love as Christ had loved, who taught you the shape of that kind of relationship, and who made you a better person for it. It is so important to continue to celebrate and to lift up those kinds of relationships because they are powerful. Those are the kinds of relationships that can literally change the world. When we are deeply committed in the kind of love that Christ commanded us to, faith is formed and lives are changed. I heard a great example of this kind of relationship this week. These are two little boys. Their names are Dylan and Jonah. Jonah was born with a very rare liver condition. Literally one in a million people have it. This liver condition means that his body doesn't um, process sugars the way that it should. And he ha the only treatment available is that you have to drink a mixture of cornstarch and water every three hours. Every three hours, even in the middle of the night. And if he misses a feeding, it can push him into such a state that he could have seizures or even die. 
It causes lots of havoc with his body. It changes the way he looks. It messes with his immune system. And so as you can imagine, as a little boy, Jonah had trouble making friends. He was different. And kids sometimes struggle with different. But Dylan, Dylan met Jonah, and Dylan became Jonah's friend. But he knew that Jonah was sick a lot. So he asked his mom about it. And his mom was trying to explain to Dylan kind of what this was and, and that, you know, there just wasn't a lot that could be done about it. When he asked, you know, why, why don't they just give him some medicine and make him better? Because it's what we do for our kids, right? His mom said, well, you know, not a lot of people have this, and so there aren't a lot of doctors trying to figure out how to make it better. And Dylan said, I want to help. And so his mom, you know, very graciously said, well, you know, we could, we could make some cookies and we could have a bake sale. And in her words, Dylan said, Mom, that's dumb. Six years old, he knew bake sale has a limited earning capacity. Instead, Dylan decided that he was going to write a book. And he did. He went to his room and he got his markers and he wrote a book. The book is called Chocolate Bar. And he brought it to his mom, and he's like, you have, to, you have to get this printed. And she went to Kinko's, and she got it printed, and they sold it at his school. And then the story kind of got picked up by the local media, and, and the Barnes & Noble invited Dylan and Jonah to do a book signing. And they sold some more books, and some more books, and some more books. The boys are 10 now, and they actually tour sometimes and, and talk about the book, and they'll read it together. And to date, Chocolate Bar has raised over a million dollars for research into Jonah's condition. In fact, when I was hearing this story on NPR, they interviewed a doctor who is on the forefront of that research, and he said, you know, because of the money that has come in, we now know the gene that causes it, and we know the virus that might be able to fix it, and we're maybe two years away from a cure. Because a six-year-old boy loved his friend, and was determined to do something to help him. When Christ calls us and says, love one another as I have loved you, we know that that is grounded in his great and powerful sacrifice, but we also know that it takes shape in small, intimate relationships. That it is the tiny acts of everyday life, of loving day after day after day that can have an enormous impact, not only on our own lives, but on the whole world. As United Methodists, we talk about making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We know that the shape of that discipleship is deep, profound, loving relationships, and that it really can have a worldwide impact. This week, I invite you to remember the people who have made that impact on your life, who have taught you to love, and who have made you different by the love that they've shown. Celebrate their impact on your life. But I also invite you to start dreaming about the next step. If we are loving as Christ 
loved. How will this church move into the next year? Next week, we're going to talk about hopes and visions for the future. I invite you to be part of that conversation, but to remember that they are grounded and shaped in the love that Christ has shown for us. Amen.